Uh, it's the debate about who's better. We already know this, huh, Michael? Was that Michael? I can't see him. I heard him. Where is he? All right, all right, Michael. Who's the greatest? Which one? MJ. All right. Anyone say differently? Yeah. Look at the stats, huh? All right. So you just look at that. And the question, who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Is it James or is it Jordan? Now, those who say Jordan argue his uh, six championships undefeated in the finals. Overall influence even upon NBA popularity, bringing, bringing the NBA to a new level. And those who argue James point to his longevity. Eight finals appearances in a row. It's incredible. He won three of them. And beyond just scoring, he's a great passer, understands the game. And he's also at his peak and passing Jordan on a lot of statistical achievements. Now, since they never played each other, the debate will go on and on and on and on. Michael, until your dying day, it'll go on and on and on and on. People always have their opinion. Um, In fact, March 2019, um, a business insider used SurveyMonkey to just... Bash it out there and gets opinion of people. They got 1,082 people return with their response. Only 75% of them felt like they had enough Bible or, or NBA knowledge to <laughs> Bible knowledge. No, they're not in the Bible. So only three-fourths of them had enough um, NBA knowledge even to posit an opinion. So you're in the 25% Dirk, so that's just fine. Um, and I'm sensitive to that, so we're not going to talk a lot about this, but just enough to say that overwhelmingly, MJ was chosen. Look, it's like some 60%, and uh, James was next, and then it just filtered down from there, from Bird, Chamberlain, O'Neal, Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Steph Curry even got 2% of the vote. <clears throat> um, and we'll never know who the GOAT is the dynamic of history, and, and really, in the end, does it really matter? It gives sports writers jobs, so maybe to them it, it matters. It gives us something to talk about. But as we come this morning to, to think about, in the scriptures, to think about something that matters, like what's the greatest trait it is that you need during your life here upon the earth? And, and the ample answer is simple. You need wisdom message, my message this morning is entitled, The Greatness of Wisdom. It's what Solomon argues in, in Proverbs chapter 8, and it's, it's really the sort of climax that, that Solomon has said so far in the book of Proverbs. I mean, he's talked all about wisdom in, in Proverbs. In fact, the theme that we have got from Proverbs is to get wisdom, right? Get that supreme thing, get that, that great thing. And, and throughout Proverbs so far, Solomon has encouraged his son to to look into wisdom, talking about it, encouraging son to walk in the way of wisdom because wisdom is the, the greatest thing. And in chapter 8, he shows why. So if you, end up, if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. I want to just read it all in, in context for you this morning, just to put it in our minds. You can just even, as I read it, think through about how Solomon in this chapter is just lifting high the greatness of wisdom. Solomon writes this, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 1. Does not wisdom call? 
Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud to you, O men, I call and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense Hear, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come forth what is right and my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness, and there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or or first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. There's a a lot of verses there. We got 36 verses. We have our, our work cut out for us this morning. But Lord willing, we will get through the entire chapter. He begins the chapter, Solomon does, by saying that wisdom is near You know, one of the common images of wisdom is uh, that it resides in some guru that sits way on the top of a mountain. And in order to get to wisdom, you need to make this hard climb and this hard trek way up to the top of this mountain and seek for his wisdom. And perhaps, right, if you make enough effort, you just might find this man who dwells on the top of the mountains, contemplating the, the things of life. And you might, he might just be able to give you the wisdom that you need at that moment. And so you go up and then you go down the mountain. 
to face real life. And when something else comes your way, you realize you need more wisdom. And so up that hill you climb, trying to find that elusive piece of wisdom that the guru is going to tell you. Well, that's not the picture given to us in Proverbs 8. Solomon tells us that wisdom is near. Look at verse 1 again. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of men. So you don't need to go to some high, remote, lofty mountain to seek for wisdom. Wisdom has come down. And she's come down to the streets. We, we read the heights in verse 2. The heights beside the way, but the heights beside the way are her podium where she can stand up just like I am standing on this stage and be able to speak to you up so all can see. She has, if you will, stood on her soapbox and stood up there in the streets for all to hear, calling out at the streets, at the gates, crying out with a loud voice. And you simply need to walk through the streets and you need to listen to her. You need to pay attention to her. Rather than just passing by the way. Now this isn't the first time that Solomon portrays wisdom as crying out in the streets. In chapter 1, you can turn over there. We, we see her preaching in the same place. Chapter 1 and verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. We see again. In, in, in chapter 9, we'll see next time, next week. Wisdom again speaking, chapter 9, verse 3. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. So she can be up so that people in the town can just look at her and listen to her. So she speaks. And in each of these instances, wisdom is seen as a a lady street preacher, if you will. Now, when I I preached chapter 1 a few months ago, um, and I spoke about this lady street preacher, there were several people who came up to me and said, why, why is this a woman preaching? Just being attuned, understanding that, that pastors should be men, that preachers are, are men. Um, several inquired about why wisdom was, was portrayed this way. And the reason's simple, just to let you know, wisdom, chokmah, is, is, is a feminine noun. And just like in Spanish, there's, there's masculine and there's feminine. So also in the Hebrew text, there's masculine and feminine. Hokma is this, this feminine noun, this feminine idea. And so that's why wisdom is a she. But it's not a literal woman preaching. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. It's a picture of how wisdom is, is everywhere. Her voice is heard. And you don't need to go far this morning. It's in your laps. Or maybe it's on your screen. Maybe it's in your Bible and it's on our airways. It's all around. Wisdom is found in the Bible and you simply need to read it. Now it's interesting, if you, if you look here at Proverbs chapter 1, 8 to 9, it's common that she was speaking loudly so that everyone can hear, but it's also her message, her audience, and her message are the same. In chapter 1 and verse 22, listen, says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? There's the, the simple people that she's talking to. Right? That's why she's the evangelist out there on the streets trying to talk with simple people. Not so much church folk, but she's trying to talk to those who are, are wayward, who are going their own ways. In, in chapter 9 and verse 4, again, the message is this. Whoever is simple, let him turn to in here. 
To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And we see the same message here in verse 5. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. See, the simple are those who just kind of go about through life not thinking about much. The real simple-minded, right? They, they just kind of one track, just kind of go along without much thinking, and things kind of come at them, and they just kind of take life as it is, and they just kind of go on however it goes. But wisdom will look at things, will examine things, and will examine life, and will think about it. And, and the message really here is, is, is come and think about life. Think about what you're doing. Think about where you're going. Think about what you're saying. In fact, we saw that in chapter 7. Uh, it was the simple who was out there. Remember Solomon was up at the, the window of his house. Chapter 7, verse 6, he says, At the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Just not even thinking about where he's going and then falling into the temptation of the adulterer, walking into danger and not even realizing it. On the contrary, the wise one is the one who takes his life into account and makes the right choices and walks the right path. And that's exactly what wisdom's message is, right? Wisdom is great because wisdom is right. Verses 6 through 9, listen to what wisdom says. She says, For I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. The right things come from wisdom. Wisdom says, From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, and all the words of my mouth are righteousness. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. You see these these words here about right and straight. There's nothing crooked, nothing twisted, but it's all straight. And the idea then of these words is that wisdom will lead you on the, the right path, keep you on the, the straight and narrow, if you will, right? And, and think about it, when you go through life, your, your life is filled with choices. You got all, all types of choices. Now, some choices are big and some are small. Like, there are smaller choices that make up your choices, your, your daily choices. So, like, when you get up, it's a choice. Or when you go to bed, so that when you can get up, there's a choice. When you set your alarm, right? When you will eat, what you will eat. What you will read, what you will watch, what you will say, what you will, where you will go, what you will do during that day. Like all, all those things are like choices that are making up your, your life. And, and you need wisdom for all those things. And Proverbs 8 says that wisdom will guide you on the right path, keep you diligent at your work, and give you understanding about when it is that you should rest and how it is that you should rest. But wisdom also helps you with the larger choices that you make, like, like what you put on your schedule or, or how you're going to address the day or what skills you're going to pursue in life. Or, or who you're going to marry. Or where you're going to live. And wisdom will keep you on the right path. That's why wisdom is so great. It's my third point, right? Because, really, wisdom is best. It's better than money, in fact. And that's the argument here in verses 10 to 11. Take my instruction instead of silver. And knowledge, rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Solomon weighs the difference here between wealth on the one side and wisdom on the other side. And says, okay, well, which one's greater? And wisdom is heavier, it is greater, has more glory than does wealth. 
Wisdom is better than your silver. It's better than your gold. It's better than your jewels. Wisdom is better than your nice car. Better than your big house. It's better than your investment portfolio. It's better than diamonds. It's better than rubies. It's better than pearls. This is one of those Sunday school questions, right, that are often asked and easily answered, right? What's better? Okay, kids, help me out. What's better, a big bank account or Jesus? Jesus is, right? How easy is that to answer? How hard is that to believe and live? But that's what Solomon is is really saying here in verse 9, 10, and 11. He's saying, take instruction instead of silver. Take knowledge rather than choice gold. Because wisdom is better than jewels. And that's, is it really in your life? Is wisdom better than money? Is wisdom better than wealth and all that that brings? Do you really live as if wisdom is your greatest treasure? Do you really live as if wisdom is your greatest desire? That's what Solomon says. Verse 11, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Do you think of things you might desire? It doesn't compare. I mean, how often it is that the celebrities of the world climb to the top only to find that the top is, is empty and meaningless. I mean, they have gigantic houses. They own golf courses and islands and yachts. They spend their time in exotic places doing exotic things, and yet, you know what? They're not satisfied. Often they turn to drugs to dull the pain. Some commit suicide because riches never satisfy. And how often it is on the, the contrast that the godly of this world live a humble life in a humble abode, devoted to serving others, never having much of the world's treasure, and yet die happy and content in the Lord. Just how it works. Wisdom is better than riches. And you may pursue the pleasures of the world, but in the end, it's wisdom that will give you the greatest satisfaction because wisdom is the greatest. It will match your greatest delight. So just think about something you really enjoy. Whether it's watching a sporting event, whether it's debating James or Jordan, whether it's playing a musical instrument or, or reading a favorite book or, or watching a, a movie or, or taking a walk outside in the woods or building something with your hands or exercising in the gym or one of hundreds of things, whatever it is you like the best, that can't compare with the joys that wisdom will bring into your life. Verse 11, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. It's no greater desire than to walk rightly, humbly with your Lord, and then to enjoy the creation that God has given. Well, let's move on. Wisdom is also very practical. That's what I'm calling verses 12 and 13. It takes us down to the minutia of life. It helps us with our, our attitudes and, and our speech of how, how we think and what we say. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. Uh, these, these verses, right, will hardly do them justice this morning as we try to zip through this entire chapter. But we can try that, that, that wisdom really is the means through which we gain very practical knowledge. 
That's what prudence is there in verse 12. Prudence is, is the wisdom to know how to act in really crucial situations, maybe crisis situations, or, or maybe difficult situations, or maybe just at those, those crucial points. Prudence. That's why wisdom shines in the moment of crisis, because it gives discernment, discretion in the time of need. Do you, do you remember right, when, when Solomon uh, was, was judging as king, and he, he prayed that God would give him wisdom, and the two women came before him, and, and they both had had a newborn child, and, and one had slept in his bed and whatever, woke up and the child was dead and so swapped this child. And so she claimed that this was hers, that the live child was hers and the dead child was hers. And, and they came to Solomon and, and both of them argued the live child was theirs and the, uh, the, hers and then the, the dead child was, was the other person's. And, and it was wisdom that gave Solomon the ability to discern the thoughts and motives of these young mothers. Wisdom gave Solomon the prudence to call for the sword to divide the living child so each of them could have the half. Because wisdom knew the real mother would stop the slaughter. See, that, that's the sort of thing that, that wisdom gives. It gives practical understanding. It, it's, it's filled with knowledge, discretion, discernment, prudence. But further, wisdom guides us in practical ways. In verse 13, Solomon mentions the fear of the Lord. From the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we know that this is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 it's very practical when you think about it. Well, so what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is wisdom? Wisdom is hatred of evil. Hatred of evil. Wisdom gives us this hatred. It's okay to hate evil. Right? When we see evil things, we should hate them and despise them because they bring dishonor to our Lord. Now, there's several different ways you can do this. One is that you can look at the evils of the world, and there's lots of evils in our society today. Abortion and crime and murder and injustice. And you can cry out on Twitter or whatever, your Facebook, and Rah! hate this. Or better, look at the wisdom, look at the evil in your own heart and hate that. And I think that Proverbs 8 verse 13 is probably looking more at our own hearts than at others, right? We're taking this, the log out of our eye before we're looking at the speck in other eyes. And that's the way of wisdom is to see it in our own hearts and to hate our own evil ways and, and to think about what we, we think about and to hate the evil ways we think and to hate the evil things that we say and to hate the evil things that we do. And that's Solomon addresses that at the end of verse 13 about some of these things, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil, and perverted speech, I hate. Now again, you can look at the pride of others and hate that. Or you can look at the pride of yourself and hate it. This really gets to the very core of our being. Much of our sin comes from our pride, our self-sufficiency, our self-determination, our self-preservation. We're wanting to protect ourselves at all costs. And then often that will cause us to, to sin. It's pride. And, and many times, right, it gets to the word that we speak. We speak perverted speech. We speak twisted words. Bad words. How our words ought to be pure and, and upbuilding rather than perverted and twisted. I mean, just take Ephesians 4.29 to heart. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Because every unwholesome word is perverted speech. 
And wisdom says we hate that word. But instead, Ephesians 4.29, right, use it for edification. Use your mouth for edification, for building up, for giving grace as needs the moment. And there it is, a real practical. When you think about the things you say, right, the, the perverted things you say, you should hate that about your life. And dig down deep to realize that Jesus says, right, it's from the heart that the mouth speaks. And so it's just merely an a, uh, expression of your heart. Well, that's, that's practical. Hope you see, beginning to see the, the greatness of wisdom here, that it's near and it's right and it's best and it's practical. And here we're going to see some things that it does. Wisdom brings success. Verse 14. Look at the success language here. Look at, look at the prospering language. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight and I have strength, says Lady Wisdom. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. I mean, these verses sound like health, wealth, prosperity gospel. They are. Because wisdom gives us strength to live. Verse 11, I have counsel, sound wisdom, insight, strength, and wisdom has all these things. Wisdom gives the power to rule. By me, kings reign. Riches, wisdom gives riches and wealth in verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Wisdom gives an inheritance that will fill our treasuries with wealth. Now, these things are true. It's as clear as day, right? That is the greatness of wisdom, but it's not quite health, wealth, prosperity, gospel that that says you simply believe and these things will be yours health wealth prosperity makes those things the end goal whereas when you pursue wisdom they're really the byproduct of wisdom right when people seek for health and power and wealth and success they often try to get that without the wisdom that leads there but wisdom is the path to success and wisdom knows that these are proverbs right true in general not always exactly in the specific but you show me one who walks in wisdom and walks in righteousness and, and, and walks in faithfulness and fidelity to the Lord, and I will show you one who the Lord has never forsaken, will never lack. As the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David said, I've young, been young and been I'm old. I've never seen the righteous right, lacking bread. That, that, that God will just give and grant to those who walk in wisdom in fact, these, these verses even allude to there's something even greater than riches and honor. So it's not like health, wealth, prosperity, which would seek these things as an end goal. Wealth, wisdom brings these things, but ultimately realizes that the wisdom is even better than these things. Look at verse 19 again. My, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and the yield than choice silver. And this gets back a little bit to verse 10 and 11 about the yield of wisdom Right? Bring some, some wealth and bring some economic prosperity when people live diligently in this life. And, and they, they reap the rewards of, of this life, but there's this, this greater treasure that they have more so than, than reaping the prosperity, <clears throat> more than the gold and silver. 
awaits those who walk in wisdom. And, and wisdom knows that, and wisdom trusts that, and so isn't seeking these things for an end goal, but realizes that wisdom does bring success in this life. It's how great wisdom is. Sixth, wisdom brought creation. These verses, Solomon describes the, the wisdom that God used to create the world. Look at verse 22. We read this. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. In other words, right before God created the earth, he put some thought into it. Wisdom came before the creation, not during or after. So in other words, you might, you might compare it like this. That, that wisdom was not like, when, when God created the world, it was not like he was an artist who sets a blank piece of paper before him and says, hmm, and just grabs a pen or a paint and just starts painting something and saying, kind of, whoa, look at what I made. That's called modern art. <laughs> splash, 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 kick, roll over paint. Look at that. Look how great that is. That was not creation. Creation was a construction project when he had an architect lay out all the plans and gathered all the materials and you began. Or you started working and it's with God. I mean, obviously, right? He created the materials as he went along, but he had plans and, and the wisdom was with God before his creative work ever began. That's the emphasis here. How far back wisdom goes. Wisdom goes way back. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, verse 24. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its field or the first of the dust of the world. Before he made the first of the dust. Before he brought into being the protons and the neutrons and the electrons made up of quarks. Before he did that, Lady Wisdom was there with God in the creation process. And she was with the Lord through the entire process. Verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep, when he made from the sky firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit so its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. And you just see here, even in, you see Genesis coming forth about the first day, just making the, the heavens and the earth. And, and, then, and then separating the, the waters from the seas and then bringing forth the, um, the produce and making the stars. You, know, just, you even see some of that language there. And wisdom is so great that wisdom was there watching everything and creating with him. And you just think about just how perfect wisdom is in creating this perfect universe. Many physicists have noted how our universe is, quote, finely tuned. That is... There are lots of aspects about the universe that must work perfectly or the whole thing falls apart. Like if molecules work differently together, the whole thing crumbles. If constants aren't there and the interaction of all the, the mass and the energy and those sorts of things, if they don't work together. In fact, there's some 27 constants, constants that scientists have, have looked and said. These 27 things just have to be exactly right for the universe even to exist. You know, I, I love the story of Thomas Edison. 
And he made his light bulb. The story goes he tried 10,000 times to make a light bulb <clears throat> that would work well enough to be used economically for the masses. Now, we don't know if that's exactly true or not, but he probably tried many, 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 many times. Contrast that with God and how great wisdom is. That when God spoke, he brought, he brought all the laws of physics into being. Gravity, electromagnetic forces, nuclear forces brought all those into being. When God spoke, he created all the chemical elements along with their abilities to, to bind together to form molecules. When God spoke, he brought plant life into existence, including plant tissue and photosynthesis and respiration and cellular structures, bringing all that machinery, the tiny little factories is what they're often called, the plant DNA and how bodies work. When God spoke, he brought animals into being, included designing muscular systems, nervous systems, cardiovascular systems, and DNA. And though the universe is infinitely more complicated and complex than a light bulb, God didn't make thousands of attempts until he finally got the universe right. Without testing, without experimentation, just with the sheer power of the wisdom of God, wisdom designed it, got it, set it into motion. He tried once, and it worked perfectly. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 1. And we messed it up in Genesis chapter 3. Proverbs 8 tells us God's wisdom through all these things. And here's, here's, here's the amazing thing, is God's wisdom is available to us if we but listen. It's there shouting in the streets for us. All we need to do is listen to her. Wisdom is, is near, it's right, it's best, it's practical, it brings success, it brought creation. And finally here this morning, wisdom gives life. And this is a perfect transition for us to the, the Lord's Supper. Wisdom gives life. Look at verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. You do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching beside my doors. Certainly, wisdom gives life. Also, gives blessing. This last point could have been wisdom gives blessing and life. You notice verse 32 and verse 34, this repeated. You're blessed if you listen to wisdom. I mean, this is, not just, this is not a bad thing. It's not wisdom leads us into slavery. Wisdom leads us into happiness. And then the final appeal comes right here in verse 35 and 36. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. That's where I, I get my point, that wisdom gives life. If you find wisdom, you will find life. But he who fails to find me injures himself all who hate me love death. Wisdom brings life, brings blessing. If you don't find wisdom, if you don't heed the call of wisdom, you will die. This is a good message to you children. It's a good message to us adults. That wisdom brings life and lack of wisdom brings death. Now, ultimately, right, when we think about wisdom, and I've, I've just spoken as Solomon spoke, just a, about what wisdom is, you think about how life comes through wisdom, the New Testament begins to fill out this wisdom and what it's like. It comes through Jesus Christ, who is our, our true wisdom. So, so turn with me. We're just going to the New Testament. We'll come back to Romans 8 uh, this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and I, I have tried to withhold bringing Christ into Proverbs, which what is there. Um, 
from this wisdom thing because I knew it was going to come in chapter 8 and chapter 9. But this gives us an idea about how, how Christ is wisdom. Now, that, that doesn't mean that Christ was lady wisdom. Okay, you can't, you can't parallel these things. But, but you see that, that the wisdom comes through Jesus which is a little bit different even than the, the wisdom of Proverbs. The wisdom of Proverbs is available to anyone who just follows that. There are many ungodly people, right, who, who know some things about wisdom and walk in wisdom's ways, and will find some blessing from that. But there's a way when Christ comes into the world that the ungodly will not find this wisdom at all. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And, and what Paul is putting forth here is that when he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, some grabbed it and understand that's God's wisdom, that we have failed to walk in God's ways, that we need Jesus Christ to come and be our wisdom for us. And others think that that's just totally foolishness. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Right? In other words, this just shows Proverbs 8 is not totally sufficient. It's through wisdom. You can't even know the Lord through that wisdom. But it's preached. And Jews, right? They, they demand signs and the Greek seeks wisdom. Verse 22. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And see, because the Jews wanted this great thing, right? Big shows of religion, right? Tell me, like, tell me all the great things that God could do. Show me the miracles. Show me the signs. And then we'll believe. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus came humbly to die upon a cross for our sins. Or, or, or the Greeks, right? They, they seek wisdom, right? They seek knowledge, right? Tell me all the academic stuff behind it. Tell, tell me there, right? right? Get me intrigued about that. And Paul in Acts 17 went to Mars Hill and talked about some wisdom. But, but they rejected it. The Jews, right, Jesus wasn't strong and mighty, they stumbled over him. And, and the Gentiles, when they heard Jesus talk about Jesus, um, heard Paul talk about Jesus and the resurrection, right, a man dying, raising from the dead, they said, ah, oh, hogwash, that's foolishness. But this is the wisdom and power of God, right? To, to the Jews and Greeks, it's nothing but to us, verse 24, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And we've seen today just how, how great wisdom is, and the wisdom of God is greater than any of the wisdom of man. Just, just consider like this, this point about bringing creation to be in verse 6, in number, number 6 rather. God did this, right? In six days, thinking it, planning it, creating it, boom! And we have spent a lifetime trying to figure out how the universe works. The greatest of minds still, when, when, they, when they study, they're, they're just on the cusp of, no, of knowledge. We don't know exactly how the coronavirus virus goes. We don't know how to stop this thing. I mean, God could figure it out like that. But we we got to struggle. we got to go to the laboratory. And there's going to be this other thing and another thing. And we push technology. And as much as we push technology, it's like a bubble that grows bigger. There's still stuff on the edge about the way that God created the, the universe that we don't even know and understand yet. But here it is. Right? The true wisdom of God comes through Jesus Christ, trusting in one who has died upon the cross for our sins. 
And that's the main point of what we, we preach. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the wisdom of God. This is the message that, that we preach. This is what we celebrate, the Lord's Supper. And during the season of Lent, right, we're going to take six weeks. We're going to relentlessly focus ourselves thinking about the, the crucifixion of Jesus. Chapter 1 and verse 30 and 31 of 1 Corinthians and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. This is, this is when God chose our calling. God, God didn't choose the great of this world, the wise of this world. He chooses the foolishness and the meek and the mild. Those who say, I need help. I need you. It's because of him or by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Verse 30. Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Right? Jesus became that for us. That he is the true wisdom that brings us to God. He was the one who walked in all these ways, who walked in righteousness, who, who truly didn't desire the riches of the world. But, but for our sakes, he became poor and walked in a humble way. How he was eminently practical. The fear of the Lord was on his heart and on his mind all the time. And he's become our wisdom. So as verse 21, 31 says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And really, that's where we need to boast. is not in ourselves, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said that in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. May it never be that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because wisdom is indeed the greatest. Jesus is the greatest, right? We, we put LeBron James and we put Michael Jordan up there and we say, who's the greatest? Well, none of them. Jesus is the greatest. He may not be able to beat them in basketball, okay? Unless he uses his superpowers, then maybe that would, that would work. But in life, Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest wisdom. He is the, the true wisdom. And that's what we reflect upon as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So you can turn over to 1 Corinthians 11 and realize again that it's a time of uh, self-examination before we eat the bread and drink the cup. May we eat it and drink it in a, in a worthy manner, as verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11 calls us to do. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why it's good before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, just to reflect and think about Jesus and think about where our trust lies whether trust in ourselves, whether trust is in Jesus, who is our wisdom. So, why don't you bow your head? Just think about your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, this this supper is for you. As Jesus gave this for us. But if you're not believing in Him, or you're not walking with Him this day, maybe this is a a time of confrontation where you need to just repent for your sin. And you need to realize that you need wisdom, that you need Jesus. And he became our wisdom. He is our righteousness, our, our sanctification. He is our redemption. All our hope is in Jesus, not in our good works. And the call of Proverbs 8 is simply to listen to, to Lady Wisdom preaching. Not just listen that we hear it, but listen that we act upon it. And Jesus calls out that we simply need to believe and Trust in him for our righteousness. Could not be a, a greater truth, a greater message. So I, I encourage you if there's
sin that you're holding on to, just let it go and trust in Christ to, to cover your sin because the good news this morning is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the good news this morning is that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So Father, I would pray that this time would be a time, right, the, the first of six weeks where we intentionally think about the cross of Christ in an unhurried way, reflecting upon what was done 2,000 years ago and when our sins were nailed to his body on the cross that we might be made free. God, that he would forgive all our transgressions, that we would walk before you, God, not in our sin, but in the righteousness of Jesus. There's nothing more important in this life than we can celebrate. This is the, the greatness of the ultimate wisdom. It's found at the cross of Christ, the climax of history. So be with us now as we sing of the cross. And as we do as you have told us to do, is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup in remembrance of you. May we remember you this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.